Father, we wish to sit at your feet, learn from you, learn your ways, learn about the people that you called your own, the Israelites, and how you instructed them in the art of worship, how you declared there is a way to do it, a way that is right, and there's a way that is wrong. Help us, Lord, in our endeavors as we seek to worship you, to do it in a right way with hearts that are given to you. You being the God of mercy and grace, we have no fear coming before you. And Father, we want to extend our love and thankfulness for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now last week we were in chapter 25 and 26 dealing with the tabernacle in the wilderness. And Daryl's going to be putting up some pictures And I'm going to just review chapter 26 so you guys get this down. This is where our roots, so to speak, came from. How it foreshadowed the coming of Jesus Christ. And we need to be aware of these things. And I tried to stick in enough pictures here so you guys would get an understanding of what has taken place. So, Daryl, if you want to start with the tabernacle in the wilderness there. This is the mock-up at the tabernacle that I showed you last week. It is in the Valley of Timnah. It is south of Masada and north of the Dead Sea. And this particular structure, it faces east with the back of the tent there, the tabernacle facing west. And as you go inside, the the items, the furnishings on the inside are lined up. And we want to take a look at those. First, it is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this is a depiction of the Ark of the Covenant that I talked to you about last week. Patty and I, we left here and we had a discussion about it. She goes, you said the poles and the rings were on the bottom of the ark? She said, I didn't see that. And I think it's in verse 12. We went over that. And the idea was that these poles being on the bottom where you're supposed to carry this ark, it's supposed to be a burden. And this ark would be extremely heavy. It weighed hundreds of pounds because the lid that is on here, uh, it's made of one piece of gold. And, you know, it's it's probably two feet by three feet or three and a half feet. And it was carried by four men. So you can imagine what a burden this was to cover. And they would put this, uh, they'd put a cover over this thing. Just a second here, Daryl. I think it's me, actually. They would put a cover over this when the people would carry it. And But nobody was allowed to look at it except for the high priest once a year. Now, there's another picture of the Ark of the Covenant that is in here as well. And, Daryl, if you'd bring that up. This is an incorrect depiction of it because the handles are up at the top. And it would be a lot easier to carry this. And the reason that it was like that, as I explained to you last week, is the law was a burden. And so four men carrying this, trying to have a level path for their feet, wherever God would take them in the wilderness, they had to be very careful not to drop this thing. They had to be very careful to hold on to it and steady themselves as they were carrying it. Just like the Lord said, be very careful to observe all the commandments that I give you. Is there some way to take out the... Is it just me? Sorry for those listening on the internet. Tighten it up a little bit. Okay. Uh, let's go on to the next picture. So this one, wait, before you go on, you'll see this little menorah, this lampstand that's in front there. That is a depiction of the one that was actually in the tabernacle that was set up. 
and it was much bigger than that. But uh, let's go on to the next picture. Now, this is the table of showbread. Uh, this is a mock-up of the one that is in Timna, the Valley of Timna. If you walk inside, you'll see that. And I already told you that there would be 12 loaves of bread on there. This is what David ate, him and his companions, when they were hungered. And they were able to get some of the bread, and they were able to eat it. But this bread was to be replaced daily. And it was to be there before the Lord, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Of course, we understand it to mean that Jesus is the bread of life for all 12 tribes. There was enough for each tribe to go around. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Now, this is a lampstand. This lampstand is one that they have made out there. But this is an incorrect rendering of the lampstand because it is missing something. Uh, it looks very beautiful, and of course, on the tops there, you see that it, it's really not a flame, they're lights. And now, if they put that in the temple when they rebuild the temple, and they're going to rebuild the temple, it would be incorrect. No batteries allowed inside of the temple. They had to actually use virgin olive oil in these little cups. And I don't know if you recall what the lamps used to look like back in this day and age, but if you took a lamp like Aladdin's lamp. You guys know what that looks like? It has the neck that comes out of it. Well, the top of that didn't used to be open, it, or it didn't used to be closed. It used to be open. And the next one depicts this. You can see these trays that are up there, and they would have to pull, pour the oil inside of there, and they'd have to trim the wicks because the wicks would expire. And they'd keep on putting these wicks out there, and it was the job of the priest in rotation like Zacharias. It was his job to do this inside of the temple when he got the announcement from the angel that his son John, who is John the Baptist, would be born. This is exactly what he was doing. Now, this depiction of the menorah is a little more accurate because in the verses, the 30s, I think, in this chapter, it shows that there's supposed to be these buds on the stem that comes up and on the branches that come out. And then you had the oil troughs at the top, which were the lamps. And that is how the inside of the tabernacle was to be lit up. Now, as you walked in there, as we'll get into the, the linen of the, the, as you walked into the holy, holy place, those linens would probably sway in the breeze and there'd be some light in there. But if you got behind the holy of holies, there was absolutely no light in there. It's very dark. Let's go on to the next picture here. Now, it talks about in um, the NIV, these frames. These frames are what the tabernacle is constructed with these would be about three inches thick wood acacia wood that was three inches thick and they were overlaid with gold now how heavy do you think these boards were you know they're a couple of feet wide and i forget the dimensions actually on the height uh, but these were extremely heavy that's why you needed all the levites to break this thing down and you'll see on the outside there the bars and the rings they would put the bar through there and they'd have these pedestals uh, made of i think these were silver these uh, pedestals were made of silver and they'd drop these planks these boards these frames inside and they'd run these rods through and that by doing so they would construct the tabernacle inside you had four golden posts that separated the holy place from the holy of holies and on the entrance you had five golden posts which were there so they are posts made out of acacia wood they were overlaid with gold the all of these slats were overlaid with gold there was preciousness preciousness on the inside and as you go from the inside to the outside you see that the metals 
they get a little less and the linen gets a little less. It's not uh, the same on the outside as it is on the inside. And of course, the Holy of Holies had this big old trunk, this case, this box uh, that was the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go on to the next one here. Now, remember, I told you the first thing that you would see when you walked inside of the temple would be the Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. This is only a representation, but it was finely twisted. And there were four colors, blue, purple, scarlet, and linen. So those four colors were woven together, and they would depict these cherubim. And that's what uh, the angels that you see on there. Now, that this is a very elementary mock-up of what it would have looked like. It would have been very ornate. The work of a weaver would have gotten in there and woven these colors all together. And it would have been beautiful, a beautiful sight to see. And those colors, they stand for something. If you have the uh, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the blue is, what color is the flag in Israel? It's blue and white, right? And that blue represents the God of heaven, That's what it represents. The blue, purple, purple is royalty. Royalty is something that Jesus Christ is going to come back in his robe is scarlet, so to speak. Blue, purple, and scarlet, those colors are going to be made up in there. And the red is for sacrifice. And, of course, the white is for purity. And this also is depicted in the Gospels itself. For instance, if you go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how does Matthew depict Jesus Christ? He's depicted as royalty, right? Which color is associated with royalty? It's the purple. That color would be associated with purple. If you had Matthew Mark, what is Mark? He is the servant, the suffering servant, right? Suffering servant, what do you think the color would be for that? It would be red. And if you went on Matthew Mark, or excuse me, Matthew Mark Luke, if you had the human that was sinless what color would that be white and then you have john what's the last one the man who was god in human form it would be blue so god wove all this together and if we just look for it wow god god in multiple levels just wove these symbols in there and he did this on purpose so that we would discover them let's go on to the next picture here ah we are at the altar we're in chapter 27 And I want to flip over to there, chapter 27. Now, before I go on to chapter 27, there's something I want to say about the coverings on the tabernacle. If you'd go back to that picture, Daryl, of the tabernacle, the blue, purple, and the uh, white. Now... If you look at these, I I told you last week that the symbolism of this, it also depicts Jesus Christ, uh, the one who is our Savior. Since this linen was there, when you walked inside, you would see the cherubim on the inside when you looked up. But over that, I told you last week that there was goat hair, and they wove the goat hair together, and it was black. Now, there are some that say, no, it was white. But the goats that were there in that particular area of the world, they're black. And there is, I think it's called an angora goat. An angora goat is white. And some people say, and some people will defend this position on the Internet, they'll say that, well, that goat skin was white. It stood for the purity of Christ. But if you look at it, if you go from heaven outward 
as you're inside the tabernacle, first you see heaven, you see the cherubims, you see the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn all woven in there. The next one is black. And if it represents humanity, humanity's sin is black. It's dark. And that's what would cover the tabernacle. So there's a controversy about that. Some would say, no, it was white because Jesus Christ was pure. He was the man who was sinless. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to argue about that. I'm going to let the Jewish priest worry about that when uh, they get the colors going on. If they want to rebuild this thing, it's up to them. But after that, you had the ram skin dyed red. And, of course, that was for the sacrifice that Jesus made. And on the outside, I already told you what this one was. You had the badger skins, or some people say it was dolphin or porpoise. Uh, skin on the outside, or manatee, we don't know which one it was, and I told you the badger skin probably wasn't because a badger was an unclean animal, and, and so there's some controversy about that, but it was nothing to look at, it was like a chamois like I told you last week. And so that's the depiction of the coverings, and this was just a tent, and they could break it down, they'd pull out the rods, they'd take off the the tops of these things. By the way, when I was describing to you some of the materials inside of the tabernacle, in the temple, the temple, the veil that was between the Holy of Holies and the holy place, it was said to be as wide as a man's hand, which is about four inches wide, and 30 feet wide, and 60 feet tall. And it would part for the uh, high priest to be able to go in there. And that is what ripped. Now, it, whether the one was parted during Jesus' time or it was just one and the guy had to go behind, I don't know what the case was. But it, it would take, and I forget how many sections of this curtain there were. I think that there were like 30 different sections of this curtain. And it would take 30 priests just to handle one section. That's how big this veil was that was inside the temple. So God was really interested in the materials that were being used. Then we have the altar of bronze in chapter 27, if you go to that picture. Now this, the next one that's here, this... Uh, item here is where they would make the sacrifices. It would be seven and a half feet by about four and a half feet high. So seven and a half feet square by four and a half feet high. And it had this metal grate that was in there that would house uh, the wood that would be burned for the sacrifice that would sit on top of that. And they would have to have shovels and pitchforks and things like that to manipulate the sacrifice that would be on top of this. And some of these sacrifices, they would completely burn up, is what they do. It's called a burnt offering. And some of the other sin offerings and things that were offered, the priest had the right to go in there with a pitchfork and grab it, and that's where they would get their food. The, the Levites would not starve if they were serving because people would bring these sacrifices to the people. They did not get an inheritance in the land. They were in charge of taking care of the temple. And that's why the rest of the Israelite tribes, the 11 others, had to give to the temple because the priest had to be sustained by the sacrifices that were brought to the temple. And of anything that you had that was an increase, if you were an Israelite, you were to tithe off of. Jesus even confirmed this. He says... You know, you uh, tithe off your mint, dill, and cumin, but justice and mercy, the weightier matters of the law, you have neglected. And he says, you should not have neglected the former and give thought to the latter, is what they should have done. And so God said, if you're, if you're tithing off of your pepper, 
I, we went to Cambodia. I bought a thing of pepper. I've been using that pepper. It's great pepper. I put it in a grinder. If I had an increase of pepper, I was supposed to get 10% of that pepper and take it to the temple if I was an Israelite, if I was a Jew, if I was under the temple system, the Mosaic Covenant. That's what I was supposed to do. And that same thing, Jesus said, that still applies. That Hey, that's good. That's good that you're watching out for that kind of thing. Now, going on this altar of bronze, build an altar in verse 1 of chapter 27 of acacia wood, three cubits high. It is to be a square, five cubits long, five cubits wide. And remember, a cubit is from the elbow to the tip of the finger. Okay, so it's about 18 inches or so. Make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horn and the altar are of one piece and overlay the altar with bronze. Make all of its utensils of bronze, its pots to remove the ashes and its shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fry pans. Make a grating for it, a bronze network, and make a bronze ring at each of the four corners of the network. Put it under the ledge of the altar so that it is halfway up the altar. Make poles of acacia wood for the altar and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the ring so that they will be on two sides as the altar when it is carried or of the altar when it is carried. Make the altar hollow out of boards. It is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. And so, of course, not only was the Ark of the Covenant to be carried, The boards, the planks, the frames were to be carried. The linen was to be carried. The poles were to be carried. It took an army of individuals to break this thing down and carry it. And I'm sure each one of these items had something wrapped around it. And so you had to lay these things down, wrap something around it, get an army of the Levites. The Levites were in charge. That was their job. They had to move this thing. No other tribe could be involved in doing it. And so the Levites would go into there. They'd cover the Ark of the Covenant. They would take that thing out. They'd break it down from the inside. Also with this tabernacle, on the inside, everything was gold and silver. And it was just wonderful. And as you went to the outside, if you go through the linen, the materials that's there, you get to Jesus Christ and the the badger skin or whatever it was, the dolphin skin or the sea cows up on top. It wasn't very much. And then you get to the metal on the outside and the metal mostly is bronze. Metals stood for different things and bronze stood for judgment. And so all of these bronze implements that were being used and the bronze altar that is there, you see that there is judgment taking place over and over. And that's what the metal was to remind the individual that was a worshiper of God. They weren't using gold instruments. The mock-up in the Temple Institute in Israel, it looks like it's either stainless steel or even silver plated. But God was very specific about making these things out of bronze. Verse 9, we have the courtyard or the curtains. Make a courtyard for the tabernacle. The south side shall be a 100 cubits long and is to have curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the post. The north side shall also have a 100 cubits long or be a 100 cubits long and is to have curtains with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The west side of the courtyard shall be 50 cubits wide and have curtains with 10 posts and 10 bases and the east end towards the sunrise. The courtyard shall also be 50 cubits wide. Curtains 15 cubits long are to be on one side of the entrance and three posts with three bases and curtains 15 cubits long are to be on the other side with three posts and three bases. And so you have this courtyard entrance for 
The entrance of the courtyard provide a curtain f- 20 cubits, about 30 feet long, of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. So what's being depicted here? You have uh, 50 feet in front. Well, 30 feet of that would have been this linen, and this linen would be blowing in the breeze all the time, and that was called the gate or the door, and that's what led into the courts. Now, one thing about this, as far as the priest is concerned, only the priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. In the holy place, the Levites would go. All the rest of the people would meet God in the courts. You guys remember the song, uh, for those of you who have been around, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. Or I will enter his gates with praise, something like that. I forget the song now that I'm trying to give it to you. This is the day that the Lord has made. You know, something like that. And that's where the people would go and congregate and kind of witness God. Remember, as they got in that tabernacle area, there would be a pillar of fire at night and there would be a pillar of smoke during the day. So when they showed up, they would just go, whoa. Look at that. And they would just be amazed by God's presence there. And they were able to go in there, but only into the outer courts because that's where you would bring your sacrifice. You would lay it on the altar, so to speak. Now, going on with this, all the posts around the courtyards, verse 17, are to have silver bands and hooks and bronze bases. The courtyard shall be 100 cubits long and 50 cubits wide. It's 150 by 72 in this particular depiction of it. With curtains of finely twisted linen, five cubits, about seven and a half feet high with bronze bases. So can we switch to this one, Daryl, or the handheld one? I could use a handheld one. This is really kind of distracting, I know, for you guys. Verse 19, all the other articles used in the service of the tabernacle, whatever their function, included all the tent pegs for it, and those for the courtyard are to be bronze, are to be of bronze. And again, that is of judgment. Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting outside the curtain, it is in front of the testimony. Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. And so we have this picture of the altar. As I told you, it was seven and a half feet by four and a half feet. It was a square that was there. Could you show the second picture of that altar there, uh, Daryl? Now, this is the mock-up in Timnah. And, of course, as you enter uh, the gates or the gate on the east end, you will run into the altar, and then you have the bronze laver, which is there. And you can notice the horns on the corner. Now, this in First Kings chapter 1, Adonijah, uh, when Solomon was becoming king, uh, Adonijah, he started throwing parties and declaring himself as a king. And this was not so good. Bathsheba goes to David, who is weak, getting older, getting ready to die. And Bathsheba makes this plea to David and says, David, you promised that Solomon, my son, was going to be the king. And here's Adonijah, you know, he's taking a chariot around. He's going, I'm going to be the next king. And it was just all great. Well, when he found out that David granted Bathsheba and Solomon the throne, it was Solomon who got it. Bathsheba interceded. Then Adonijah... He fled to the temple. 
And he said, oh, this is not good that I've declared myself king. And now David declares Solomon king. So he goes to the temple where this uh, altar is and he grabs onto the horns. It was meant to be a place of safety. If you went to those horns and you held on to those things, then hopefully you would obtain mercy from God. Because a high priest, when he would make these sacrifices, these horns... He would take blood and he'd tap or sprinkle blood on these horns seven times going around. And also the altar of incense, which is in chapter 30, he did the same thing there. He put blood on the horns, which stood for God's mercy. Because of his blood, we can have forgiveness, that type of thing. So Adonijah, he goes there and he holds on and he makes a plea like, you know, just, hey, I made a mistake. Will you please just spare my life? Because back then, you know, if you said you were king and somebody else became king, guess what happened to you? You were done. I mean, that was it. And Solomon said, well, you know, if he turns out to be a righteous man, it's all good. We're, we're good, man. We good? We're good. And that's what Solomon said. So what does he do? Well, there was this young virgin. And this young virgin was given to David to comfort him in his old age and he was getting ready to die and she was a beautiful young woman and so she would go and lay with him and keep him warm because you know as you get older you get a little chilly that type of thing and she'd lay there with him but he never slept with her and so after this Adonijah said man she is one good looking woman and so he went to Bathsheba and said Bathsheba will you go to Solomon and ask Solomon if I can have her as my wife Well, needless to say, Solomon was not pleased. Solomon said, what, does he want my throne too? You know, just go ahead and take this young maiden here. And he had him killed. And so Adonijah, he just kind of blew it on a couple of occasions, and Solomon did him in. But that is the altar that he would have gone to. Now, this is in the tabernacle right here, but he went to the temple to grab the horns of the temple. And so after the sacrifice, in order, when you come through the gates, if you're going to present yourself to God, you have to bring a sacrifice. You are not allowed to go before God without a sacrifice because we are all sinful. They were all sinful. Blood had to be shed for you to be acceptable before God, to have an atonement covering for your sin. Once that happened, then you had to be cleansed. So you went to the laver, and in this laver, you see the bowls, and this is a mock-up of what it was. It was a bronze laver, and the priest would have to wash after the sacrifice was made. Then he was able to go into the place, the Holy of Holies, and make atonement on Yom Kippur, which is depicted in Leviticus. Now going on, let's um, go a little farther here. It says, make a courtyard for the tabernacle. The south side shall be a hundred cubits long, and it is to have curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts. And I, I read that for you already. And actually, the courtyard, I said it was 50 feet. It's 75 by 150 feet in its length, seven and a half feet tall. And you could see the top of the tent from wherever you were really surrounding uh, this tabernacle entry. And the west end of the courtyard shall be 50 cubits wide and have curtains with 10 posts and bases. And I think I already went through that with you. But if you could show uh, the picture of the curtains on the outside. Now, the top and the the top here had a silver band on it. And you can see the guy wires kind of coming down. This is how it was held in place. And, of course, the bronze bases. And then you had this fine linen. And it would just sway in the breeze a little bit or flutter in the breeze. I think the bottom was secured as well. 
And so this is it. This is the God of the universe. This is where he's dwelling with his people. And this is the fence on the outside. And anybody could have gone through it if they really wanted to, but they respected this. And by the way, this thing lasted not just through the wilderness. This thing lasted up until the time of David. And that's when David decided he was going to build a temple instead of having God be housed. And he got this idea because he built himself this wonderful palace. And he goes, how is it that I'm dwelling in a wonderful palace and my God is dwelling in a tent? And so that's why he decided he was going to put together a temple. And, of course, he was forbidden from making it. And that fell to Solomon, his son. Uh, Going on here, uh, I'm going to skip down to verse 20. Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil, pressed olives for the light, so that the lamps may be kept burning in the tent of meeting outside the curtain that is in front of the testimony. Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning for the Lord from evening till morning. This will be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. Now we're going into chapter 28 here. Now in chapter 28, this is where... Aaron, um, he, he has this robe he is supposed to make. Now, if you go to most churches where the priest or the pastor wears a robe, what color or colors are they? They're black, white. You know, if you go to the Catholic Church, some of them are white, or even the Pope, I think his is gold and white, uh, something like that. But those are the colors there. That's not the colors God had in the Old Testament. And if you believe Jesus to be the high priest and the colors that he would wear, just his very being would be the rainbow. Now, the rainbow has been commandeered uh, by the gay community, and they think it is theirs. No, I'm sorry, it's God's, and he is going to redeem it again. That's God's promise to us that it will never, ever rain again and flood the earth to where everybody dies. We know at the end times that the earth will be destroyed with a fervent heat, and so will the entire universe. And the high priest, he was happening. He had some colors on him. He looked good. He had some precious stones on him. He had a a turban with a gold band around the top. He had uh, gold chains coming across the top. He had the Urim and the Thummim, which was concealed behind the breastplate. And we're going to get to all of that here. So have Aaron, your brother, verse 1 of chapter 28, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his son Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brothers, Aaron, to give him dignity and honor and tell all the skilled men to whom I have given wisdom in such manners that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. And they are to make these sacred garments for your brothers, Aaron, and his sons, so that they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. So if you want to bring up that first picture there. Now, this is one depiction. There are several. If you look up on the Internet what these things look like, uh, they are as varied as your tastes are varied from one person to another. And what you have here, you have this linen that's underneath first. Now, it's not made of wool. It's made of the linen or maybe cotton, something like that. Even They could have even used silk, but it was a fine linen that allowed the priest to work without perspiring, without sweating. 
Because God is not interested in our outward effort. He's interested in our heart. And so he didn't want it depicted in any way that this is going to be a labor for the high priest to go in there. Even though, if you look at Jesus Christ, he gave his very life. He suffered and died and was crucified. But in heaven, he he just goes before God the Father, so to speak. He enters the tabernacle up in heaven, and he's already made the sacrifice with his own blood. On the front here, you have the breastplate. And this breastplate has 12 different stones, and I'll get into the list of those stones. And inside of that is a pouch for the Urim and the Thummim. Yeah, and you go, what's a Urim and the Thummim? And this blue garment, this outer garment, it was made of one piece. It was not to be torn. And he put that over the linen, and then he had the breastplate, and it was connected with gold rings. And on the top there, on each one of his shoulders, you can see that there are some stones up there. Now, the garments, they were splend- they were of a great splendor and distinction. It set them apart from everybody else, the high priest that would serve inside of the temple. And in the Old Testament, you would use the priest. He would go in. In the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ. He is the one that goes in. In the Old Testament, you only had one mediator. There were not two high priests. During the time of Christ, how many high priests were there? There were two. That's right. And you go, wait a second, I thought it was one high priest at a time. Yeah, you had Caiaphas and you had Annas, and I think it was Annas who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and it was the Romans who installed him there, and they weren't happy with Annas. And so they were kind of, one was deposed, but he was still really the one in charge. It was just a mess. It was just a total mess at that time. And both Annas and Caiaphas were the ones who saw Jesus Christ before he was crucified, and they both put him to death. Now, in the Old Testament, the high priest was clothed with this linen, the blue, purple, and the scarlet yarn, and it was woven. And I'm sure this thing just looked great. But we are now all priests as well. But what color will our garments be when we get to heaven? White. We will be clothed in white. It's the righteousness of the saints. But Jesus Christ, if you look at him, what color do you think he's going to be? If you look at the depictions in Scripture, what appears to be Jesus sitting on his throne, and you see an emerald rainbow, you see colors, you see the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem coming down, and each one is a different color, and those 12 foundation stones represent each one of the tribes of Israel. I mean, there is color, there is a a pearl. Have you seen uh, cars that go around with that pearl hue, that paint job that's on it? You know, it's kind of luminescent when you, you... get it just right in the sun. Well, a pearl is the same way. If you get it into the sun, you look at it, there's like colors of the rainbow inside of there. And each one of the 12 gates, they're going to be made of one pearl. Now, this structure, the New Jerusalem, is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. How big are the gates? Huge. I don't know how big, but they're going to be huge. You know, you're going to be standing there, some guy's going to be standing there saying, look, Martha, Look at the size of these gates. You know, and they're made of one pearl. They're just, 
the colors that are going to be up there are going to be fantastic and the streets are going to be paved with gold. And I'm sure it's not gold like we get. If you look at 24 karat gold, it's kind of bronzish yellowish. It's not even real bright yellow and you have to get something like, uh, I don't know, 19 karat or 20 karat if you want to look in yellowish in color. If you look at the streets up there, there'll probably be transparent gold. You go, whoa, look at these things. And we're going to be bright and there's going to be, it's going to be loud and the throne and the angels are up there, the cherubim and the seraphim. It's going to be a fantastic place. The depiction of the high priest, he was the one that was supposed to look good because Jesus Christ is going to look good. And when we get there, we are also going to be a kingdom priest. We're going to look good to it. Everything is going to look good. Everything is going to be perfect the way God intended it for it to be. If you look at our creation now in some parts of our country or the world, you see dirt. You see dead bushes. I mean, especially this time of year, you see dead grass. You go to the, some of the northern territories like in June or May and it's green and it's lush. And then you get up to the North Pole and it's white and it's desolate. It's like a desert. When we get to heaven, ain't going to be none of that. I mean, it's going to be just beautiful. And if he does have cactus or something on the new earth, they're going to be blooming all the time. They're going to be fantastic. There's not going to be any thorns whatsoever. It's going to be just a, a fantastic place to exist up there. And so the high priest, he was decked out. And we know that the high priest, he could go boldly into the Holy of Holies once the sacrifice was made, once he had cleansed himself. And that's the same thing with us as priests. We can go boldly into the throne room. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says that. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so Jesus is our great high priest. Now we get to the breastplate. If you'd show that picture there, Daryl, of the breastplate. It says, this is also known as an ephod, make the ephod of gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. This is what howls the breastplate here. The work of a skilled craftsman, it is to have two shoulder pieces attached to its two corners so it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it of one piece with the ephod and made of gold with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen. Take two onks stones and engrave them on, or engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in order of their birth. Six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. Lost my place here. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on the shoulders of the memorial before the Lord. Make gold filigree settings to braided chains of gold like a rope and attach the chains to the settings. Then the breastplate, fashion a breastplate for making decisions. The work of a skilled craftsman, make it like an ephod, gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long, and a span wide. A span would be if you took your hand and you had your thumb extended and your pinky extended, that's how wide it would be. And that's equals a cubit. Two of those equal a cubit. That's how they would do their measuring. Like, how much is that? Right here. It's supposed to be an inch. That's where you get an inch. That drives people on the other system 
just crazy. What do you mean that's an inch? What is that? Well, that's how we do it in the United States. Going on here. It is to be square, a span, verse uh, 17. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. In the first row there shall be a ruby and topaz and a beryl. In the second row, turquoise, a sapphire, and emerald. In the third row, jacinth and agate and amethyst. In the fourth row, chrysolite and onyx and a jasper. Mount the gold filigree settings. There are to be 12 stones. And so th- that is the stones that represent each 12 of the tribes. Now, Sardis would be red. Topaz would be a yellow-green. Emerald, obviously, is green. Turquoise is blue. Sapphire is blue. Those are different color blues. Sapphire could be a deep, deep blue. A diamond adjacent could be blue. Some say slightly yellow. Agate, um, variable, bright color. They don't know what color exactly it was. Amethyst is purple. Burl is a sea green. Onyx and banded chalcedony or chalcedony is white in every other color. Uh, and jasper is a clear crystal. It says in verse 22, make the breastplate or for the breastplate, make braided chains of pure gold and a rope. And so this is, I want to go back and forth here with some of these, Daryl. First show what the priest would wear, his garment, if you would. Go back one. Now, of course, this is the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Now, I look at that breastplate and everything that's on there, the ephod, and how it's woven. And I don't think that's woven by the work of a skilled weaver. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't think it looks like that. If you step away from that, it's going to look like one color. It's kind of like carpet. You know, it has all these highlights, but you don't really see the highlights. And I think when they made theirs, it's going to be just spectacular. Or when they made theirs, it was spectacular. And so that is the garment that the priest would wear. And you could see the two rings at the top that would hold this thing in place. And, of course, it would wrap around. It would fold over. If they had Velcro back then, they would have used Velcro probably to keep this thing in place. But they didn't. So they used these rings and they used little ropes. And the guy had to get all fitted. And he had attendants to do this for him. Now let's go back to the breastplate here. And here are the stones. And this is for understanding. If you see these stones, these stones have lettering on them. Now, it is said by some, when they would inquire of the Lord, they'd go to the high priest, the high priest would go in, and the king would ask a question. The priest would go seek after God. And it is said that God would provide his answer by causing these letters to glow. And so they would look at it and they go, oh, okay, well, that's what the Lord wants. Now, also with this, they had the Urim and the Thummim. We don't know how the Urim and the Thummim actually worked, but if you'd show those pictures, Daryl, the Urim and the Thummim. They were two stones. There they are. And you go, do you mean to tell me the priest, he would take out a black rock if it was a no? And take out a white rock if it was a go. Well, yeah, we don't know exactly how it worked. But this is how God communicated to the high priest and therefore back to the king. The king would go to the high priest. The high priest would go to God and say, what is your will for this? Should we go for it or should we retreat? Do everything you have set forth in your heart to do, and you shall have victory this day. You know, like the walls of Jericho, that type of thing. And so Joshua would say, hey, what are we supposed to do? And the high priest would go in and seek after the Lord. They'd come back, well, this one glowed. And we don't know if it actually glowed, but that's what they say that it did. And then he would know from the Urim and the Thummim which stone, the white for go, 
the black for no, and God would guide them this way. And it was only the high priest that would hear from God. Just like Jesus Christ, our high priest. He's the one that hear from God. Now, we having the Holy Spirit, we get to hear from God. You don't have to get a black stone and a white stone. Do I go to college? Do I not? And how do I work these things exactly? Is it kind of like Yahtzee? Do I put it in a box and I throw it down? And how, how do I do this? And by the way, that's how they used to make some decisions. They would get some rocks or some stones or something and they would cast lots. And it would be like, okay, bring out the Yahtzee game. And they'd bring it out and they'd shake this thing up and they'd throw these bones down or whatever it was, these stones. And, and they'd say, that's it. That's what we're supposed to do, like dice or something. And that's how they would cast lots for who would get something and who would not get something. What a crazy way to do it. But it's settled arguments. That's why we have the, well, flip a coin, right? But God would direct these particular inquiries by doing this. And the Urim and the Thummim, they go through... Uh, verses 29 to 30. And again, it was uncertain how they were used. The black was meant to disapprove. The white was meant to approve. And they glowed miraculously, apparently. That's how it took place. And so you had the robe also in verses 31 through 35. And he was supposed to wear this robe and the ephod of blue. If you uh, turn to that one picture of the mannequin, that is there, Daryl, the next one. Now, this is the mock-up inside of Timnah. This is another way he could have looked. Uh, of course, we don't have a lot of the ropes. You can't see a lot of those that are in there. And this is, like I said, a mock-up. They're probably on a small budget. Everybody that goes there and visits the place, they don't have the money to make everything out of the materials. And by the way, the perfume for the incense and things like that that were burned, nobody else was allowed to make those particular recipes. They were forbidden. It was holy before God. And when they put the incense on, you couldn't go home and say, I want some of the incense that they burn in the tabernacle. Uh-uh. It was forbidden. It was only for God. Uh, let's go to the next picture. I think there's one last one. Now, this is a little more elaborate here. It shows the linen robe and the ephod that he would wear. It's that whole thing that's on there. And the Urim and the Thummim would be inside the breastplate that's there. And you'd have the chains going over and the gold clasp. And I think, don't we have one last picture of the shoulder stones? Or did I cross over that one, Daryl? Yeah. Now, there's another picture of this. Now, those would be on the shoulders, and that was the 12 tribes. They were listed by order of age. And so those would be on the shoulders, and you had the gold chains coming down, and you had the breastplate, and you had the Urim and the Thummim on the inside. You had the colors that were there. As we get into the other chapters, we're going to see that... Uh, what the high priest had to do, how he conducted himself and, and themselves. And, of course, they had a turban or a small covering for the head, and it had a gold um, markings that was engraved on top of his head. And I'm running out of time here. I just want to make sure you get all of these pictures, and I can go back. And I can make sure that we have all of this information. Verse 39 actually says, Weave a tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be the work of an embroiderer. Make tunic sashes and headbands for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honor. After you have put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them, consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Verse 42 Make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. 
Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach an altar to minister to the holy place or in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron as and his descendants. Now, we haven't gotten to the altar of incense. That doesn't happen until chapter 30. But what this is meant to show us is that in the Old Testament, you had the high priest, and he was specially adorned. He was picked for the job by God himself. Jesus Christ was our intercessor, our high priest. He is the one intercessing for us. He was chosen by God himself, just like we are chosen to be a kingdom of priests. God has done all this, and he set this up as a message to all of us that this is how it was. This is the rigors of sin. This is what you have to do in order to follow righteousness. But now God has shown us a more excellent way where we just have Jesus Christ, our faithful high priest, and we can go into the throne room boldly and we can ask him for his grace and mercy. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's what all of this points to. The Israelites could not see it from their perspective, but we can see it on the other side of the Old Testament. God is a gracious God doing all this just for us. He loved us so much that he wanted us to participate in what he has lying ahead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness that you have provided for us. We, we are so blessed, Lord, uh, to know that you set this up so we would have understanding in this day and age of who you are and what you intended, the sin that was there and how we had to have forgiveness for that. We can never give you enough thanks for this, but Father, we'll just honor you and worship you because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.